0: listening to the journey home podcast
1: Welcome to the Journey Home podcast. This is Matthew Starrett, I'm a psychotherapist and musician based in Surrey, UK. The premise for the Journey Home is to offer space for conversation with those sharing a lived experience of addiction, mental health, and a multitude of topics that resonate with the guest. The aim is to promote awareness of the dialogue content and serve as a pathway to therapeutic services. On this episode I'm speaking with Josh Dixon. Josh is an accredited EMDR consultant, an accredited FDAP drug and alcohol professional and a licensed heart math coach. Josh is the owner and director of Resurface who provide evidence-based surf therapy retreats. Josh is also a group consultant at start to stop co-director of Flowspace and has his own private practice. I heard Josh speak at a conference on trauma last year, and since then I've found myself thinking more and more about EMDR. I've certainly noticed its rise in popularity, but given it's not something I've ever tried, I'm really interested in finding out more about it and why those practising it feel it can help clients suffering from trauma and PTSD in ways other conventional therapies may not have been able to. I give you Josh Dixon. I'm here with Josh Dixon. Josh, thanks so much for joining me.
0: It's my pleasure, good to be here.
1: How are things with you today?
0: Yeah, things are good. We, we just, um, there's so many different things going on in my life that are all kind of interlinked and and exciting and be it my private practice or Resurface, which is my surf therapy business. There's sort of, we're doing this grief day at the Wave and that's just sold out. And there's just some really just you know, exciting things going on right now.
1: Oh, so, that sounds so cool yeah i really want to talk to you more about resurface um but before i ask that i wanted to ask you dive straight in um tell me about your journey to becoming a therapist
0: that's a good question i mean i never really planned to become a therapist i tell you what happened is i did psychology and philosophy at university and i really i graduated actually in philosophy but i did philosophy and psychology joint and then i was a musician for a long time i was in the music industry i was as a musician and that was my my career for a lot say a decade because i kind of had what i thought was everything that i wanted and i was just lost and miserable and then i i got into recovery and um you know started attending mutual support groups and mm-hmm. getting into that whole scene and, and my life started to turn around and one of the things that happened in the early days is someone called dr robert lefeva said i could come to one of his support groups once a week so i went to this like it, could, it was like a one weekly outpatient group um in that after a while he said you know if you go away and come back in a year i think you'd be really quite good at this work i'd really like to see what your attitude is and what your goals are and all those Mm. kind of things but he was like you know i think you maybe you might be have something to to offer and be a value in this world i was like okay that's cool you know i found the whole sort of psychology piece fascinating you know my own you know that's a narcissistic element of my own what's wrong with me and then yeah family system and then God you know everyone should get some help and all the, all those little tick boxes yeah. that everyone goes through and I, I did some some training with him and and they got qualified as an addictions counselor and then I I immediately knew that I needed to do more than just be an addictions counselor so I trained um to be a trauma therapist so I trained as an emdr c- clinician and then off the back of doing the training and my work with Robert I got a job at start to stop working with Cosmo Duff Gordon and i've been affiliated with start to stop for over 10 years now i worked for five years in their outpatient program their evening program as a counselor and then i left Mm. and cosmo was like We'd really love it if you could still be connected and come and do a few groups for us. So I've been for the last five, six years, I've been doing positive psychology workshops and experiential group therapies or psychodrama groups for their day programme.
1: Oh, amazing. What kind of stuff does Robert do? Was there something about him that really resonated with you, his work?
0: Well, Robert is funny. Robert was my GP when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. He also set up Promise, um, one of the most successful Minnesota methods rehabs back in the 80s and 90s yeah robert is is, was for a long time a real leader addiction expertise in the uk so a huge amount of that i could learn off robert and so that was really uh it's like a mentorship that lasted about two years so branched out from there it's difficult to stay in that kind of relationship after a while everyone grows
1: for sure yeah yeah absolutely something you said there really liked about on the surface having everything you wanted but sort of internally not having what you needed. I wonder if you could say a bit more about that.
0: Self-esteem is a very interesting subject that not many people talk about, but it's absolutely essential for mm, flourishing mm. and happiness. And and self-esteem really asks two questions of you. Am I able and am I worthy? And mm. I was definitely able, yeah. but am I worthy was, was complicated. And that's that's the issue because there's a lot of trauma that, that results in people integrating themselves as not being worthy without even yeah. realizing it. Yeah. manifesting behavior and, mm. and choices yeah, yeah. and, and so, yeah so there so there i was i just made our first album everything something i've been working for for ages um mm. I, I had you know the girl the record deal the the touring all that stuff yep. and it was just you know it was always about i was never able to be in the present when i get here when we get there then i'll be fine when this when that, i know i'm very it's very common that. yeah but at the time you know, waking up at three in the morning really anxious and not knowing why all those kind of other uh, drinking too much taking too many drugs all all the stuff that that's so yeah people go through thinking thinking that i had what i wanted but actually not you know my values weren't aligned my behavior wasn't matching my values and so on so it's 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 interesting to look it's so easy to look back on these things and go oh hmm. that was going on this was going on. yeah you're yeah. in it very different
1: totally And I, I so i so recognize so much of what you said it's really interesting that those similarities you know recognize being a musician and being in recovery and the process of kind of thawing out and the journey of of getting to where i am today for those who may not be familiar what is emdr therapy
0: it's a great question and it's it's interesting it's had a real kind of surge of yeah popularity at the moment it's a it's a it's an evidence-based uh, psychotherapy modality that is primarily known for being highly effective in treating PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And if you look at all the random and it's, it's one of two modalities recommended by the world health organization recommended by NICE, the national Institute of clinical excellence, the veterans association, the States, Mm -hmm. the list goes on. The reason it's recommended is it's evidence-based and in the outcome studies of the random clinical trials, EMDR and trauma-focused CBT always come out equal right ahead of everything else so it's a very powerful modality and it's it's also highly effective for anxiety for depression it can be a very useful adjunct in helping treat addiction and, and other issues but primarily it's most most well known for being highly effective in quite literally removing post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms
1: is, is it the sort of those parts of the trauma or that trauma in that may have been stuck or that just maybe other therapies or other kind of things isn't getting to or can't access? Is there a way that it kind of gets it? Talk about how it it gets in there.
0: I think it's really important to, to look at what is trauma. And I see trauma as an imprint on the nervous system. That results in a set of symptoms, usually maladaptive symptoms, and all these different types of trauma: intergenerational trauma, developmental trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic stress. Yeah. this goes on big relational field. trauma. Yeah, big yeah. But really, I see it as there's really two types of trauma. There's PTSD, mm-hmm. which is a set of symptoms in relation to what happened to you, an event, an event or a set of events, what they call a stressor. And as a result of that, manifest certain symptoms that would be defined as PTSD, heightened startle response, Mm -hmm. a complete transformation of how you see yourself and sort of a a retreat into isolation, depressive thinking. Those are the kind of um, problems with sleep and those those are your kind of traditional PTSD symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so to treat PTSD, we need to remove them, take them away. That's what we're doing. And I liken it to like, uh, I sometimes call it the surgery, to cut these things out. Yeah. And then we've got we've got developmental trauma, which is what didn't happen to you. So it's the neglect, the abandonment, the inconsistency. The the reason I think <laughs> it's what did, didn't happen to you is because when we're working with developmental traumas, we're not trying to take something away. You can't yeah. take away something that's not there because we're working with deficits there. So what we have to do is we have to put something in. And this is why things like 12-step fellowships and group therapeutic events and things Mm. relational, the relational aspect of working with a therapist are so powerful because they help heal those deficits. They Mm. put something back in, but they're very different and they need to be looked at and treated very differently. So EMDR is is fantastic for PTSD and, and events, working with events that happen to you, but you still need the relational piece healing for the matter trauma. So we have to work with both of those things. Basically, what it's doing, in really simple terms, and I'll explain this, you activate a a traumatic memory, Mm -hmm. and you move it via a process called bilateral stimulation, Mm -hmm. and you change it from what we call episodic memory to narrative memory. What's going on here is we're getting something that's stuck in the middle of the brain in the limbic system, Mm -hmm. and we're allowing the prefrontal cortex here to come back online and Mm -hmm. process an event and basically tell the brain that that memory is over. It's not happening anymore. It's date stamped and put back into, put into your timeline. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called nap, it's converted to what we call narrative memory. It's part of your narrative
1: mm-hmm. Because the
0: problem with traumatic memories is when they're activated, they feel like they're happening now. And the reason for yeah. that is it's stuck in the wrong part of the brain. So that, and hence that's why it feels like it's live. It needs to be moved and, and you can look at it in this way that it's, mimicking what happens in rem sleep at night yeah yeah and it's also also doing something called taxing your working memory think of how much you can hold in mind at any one time that's your working memory yeah and when you access a certain memory like you go into the shops mm. you activate that memory and and all this information comes down the pipe mm. maybe you bought some grapes or you forgot yeah, your yeah, wallet yeah. or whatever it is and you access that and it's fine you access an unprocessed traumatic memory and you get flooded. Too mm-hmm. many bits are flying around that don't make sense, and you become overwhelmed. Yeah. What EMDR does is it, sh- it taxes the working memory. Because in a way, it fills up half that pipe, so so less can come through, mm-hmm. which then means that you don't become overwhelmed and you can start making sense of all the information, process it, and put it where it needs to go. It's fascinating. The the sort of neuroscience of it is fascinating. What, mm. what clients mostly report is when you go through the processes. Oh, when I, act, when I connect to that memory, I feel really anxious, very sad, and, and a bit angry. And I'm yeah. seeing these images and I don't like the images. And nine out of 10 in terms of disturbance. And you go through sure. this process. And then they start to report, you know, it just, I feel more distant from it now. It feels like it's a bit further away.
1: It's not like I don't even remember what happened, but it's just, it doesn't feel like it did when they uh, say, First, started seeing you or first started treatment. So, you're yes, that exactly. surge, the surgery analogy, which I quite liked. So, it's I remember that was a thing. It is still a part of me in a way, but it's not there like it was.
0: Absolutely. It, it, okay. what it is, it's it's one of many memories. It's not a defining, overwhelming memory that blocks all the others. The EMDR yeah, st- yeah. stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Now, you can ignore the EM bit, the eye movements, but there's, there's been a lot of move, movement forward from that. It doesn't have sure. to be. Yeah, eye movements. but that comes from the eye movements of what happens in REM sleep. But the crucial part there is the D, which stands for desensitization, which mm-hmm. is what we're talking about there. Oh, when I connect to it now, it's just not as stressful. It's been desensitized. The R stands for reprocessing, and that's the reframing experience that goes on when you do the work. And you can think of that as changing the context. That bully was horrible. And it, I didn't that was a really mm-hmm. negative part of my, life, but completely forgotten there was a really kind art teacher who really looked out for me, really yeah. taught me how to draw. And I used to really enjoy playing football in the playground at that school. And and actually I made one of my best friends at that school, changing the context around the memory.
1: What happened then, but potentially when we're in that hyper arousal or those people can still be around us, but we're in if we're in that trauma place, we can't see all can't of see that. It. What that brought me onto was wanting to ask you, is it specific trauma memories? And I guess I'm wh- where I'm going with that is, certainly, you know, if you're looking through a relational lens or the attachment lens, that sort of state of hyperarousal that can be activated by perhaps a lack of sense of self, you know, perhaps the person was told you were bad, you were wrong. Where does that fit in with the MDR? Is it coming in and saying, I know there's something, but I don't fully know what the specifics are? How can that help? If that makes sense?
0: A great question. So let's just, just go back to the, the bullying memory you may have encoded a, a self-belief in that we always look for what we call the negative cognition attached mm-hmm. to a memory mm-hmm. that i'm weak or i'm not good enough yeah something like that just let's mm-hmm. just say that it's i'm not yeah good enough. And let's go with that through the reprocessing part it's you you start to connect to the fact is okay i have i was bullied mm. but actually the bullying stopped because i reported it and then that art teacher was really kind to me she gave me her time mm. she really believed in me and Hold on a second. That the kind of uh, the very CBT side of it starts to take care of itself.
1: Right. Okay.
0: So people will go from I'm un- unlovable to well I'm lovable, but maybe not by by that person, but but I've suddenly realised by all these other people.
1: Right. It's almost like the data shifts. It would the put in so shifts. much yeah. what where the meaning was, but actually almost flipping it to kind of yeah. Okay. Maybe not from there, but look at all this other stuff around that I can now see.
0: One hundred percent. And that's that.
1: Wow. That, okay. That
0: widening of the context now. Developmental trauma, like your attachment wounds, don't manifest in kind of startle responses and hyper and hy- hyper arousal and those kind of things more. It it manifests mm. more in emotional dysregulation. So yep. just not having really a clue what you're feeling or how to feel or not being able to work out relational cues. Mm-hmm. And and there's a whole sort of list of other ways it manifests in a sort of much more sort of blurry, fudgy. swampy way and your question about like i know that there's something wrong but i'm not exactly quite sure what it was Mm -hmm. you'll nearly always find if you do detailed assessments and everybody had a great childhood yeah when you first meet them yeah yeah and you know I, i i talk about this a lot i did have someone who once told me that you know he had a wonderful childhood and then one minute later he told me that he wrote home every day to ask to be taken out of school and was just ignored, you know, it's like for a year when they're aged eight or seven or something. So yeah, there people it is. have this, there's a lot of dissonance, you know, cognitive yeah. dissonance around this. And often if you do, if you're skilled and you do a, a good bit of mining, you'll find something. Nothing is causeless. All no. these things have causal links. Yeah. But there are also specific techniques you can do to um, help someone identify as well. Okay. Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go into those because it requires a context that we don't have right now, but just to let you know that there are very sp- certain specific techniques. Yeah, that and just to come
1: in there because I guess it sort of leads me on to something that I really wanted to ask you because I heard you on a roundtable discussion last year at a Hazel and Partners event, um, and you were discussing trauma and there were many different opinions. You said a bit about where you stand on trauma. I'm not sure if I've got this exactly right. It was essentially along the lines of... If your client feels six sessions is adequate, you know that's a good thing you know you you want to get them out the door and how I'm aware that in, in certain schools of therapy that may not always be the case and there therein is the debate. and I guess if we we, we spoke about relational psychotherapy, relational trauma yeah. all that using trauma as an example and you know it seems apt as we're talking about it, what for you does EMDR offer the client that talking therapy may not? Um, and what is it about this type of therapy that most resonates with you?
0: So the, I'll go back to the six sessions thing. I think it's always essential to look at what what is the goal of the treatment. Now, when most people are coming for an EMDR process, they're coming because they want to stop having nightmares. They want to stop being triggered by mm. the things they see out there. They want to stop like sabotaging every date they go on. They want to yeah. stop breaking down every time a certain song comes on the radio or something like that. So the, mm. the goal of the treatment is essential there. I know that when francine shapiro who created EMDR, dr francine shapiro she was asked by a lot of her peers like you're curing things in three to six sessions what about our practices where we see <laughs> yeah them for years yeah yeah She said well they'll send their friends anyway it's and it's not about that you know what, what, it's not about you. your goal here yeah yeah it's not about you in that sense i've worked with a lot of people where we've targeted and done great what i call trauma confrontation work and then we do what? a whole other piece afterwards that's about other things, but to go to your—that's not an EMDR process. That's just a general coaching or addiction work or just general relational. You know, I remember sure. saying to my supervisor, "Look, you know, such and such is just basically checking in with me each week, and I almost feel like I'm taking their money." And my supervisor said, "Don't underestimate what you're doing, even with that check-in. Maybe you're just a safe person in their life that they want to check in with, and it's important. You're an important resource for them." And that was. Oh, yeah. important for me to hear whereas some people are like yeah great we've done what we need to do because that that relational piece doesn't have to come from the therapist yeah, that relational okay. piece can come from the netball team or the yoga mm. class or a combination of the 12-step meeting and the sponsor relationship and the the yes. gym and also and and pe- yeah. certain people at work that they now trust and their mm. partners and you know we have to be very careful not to assume that we are the sole relational piece in someone's healing. It
1: sounds like from what you're saying there, a really nice integration of what's best for you and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm alongside you here.
0: Really what I'm trying to help a client do is, is to regain their autonomy in all areas of their life. And if they're being triggered and they're losing their autonomy, let's get that back. <laughs>
1: Are there times when EMDR may not be suitable for certain people? Uh, can it be more or less more or less effective when a client is also engaged in talking therapy or has to be one or the other?
0: The thing about EMDR is it's an integrative therapy. So it's it's mm-hmm. got a talk therapy aspect. You know, Every time a client comes in, we discuss what's happening in the week and how mm-hmm. are they after the last session and there's only yep. thing that needs to come up. But it's not really an either or, it's just that, what happened for so long is people, talk therapists were reporting I'm really trying to do everything I can here but the client seems to be getting worse or re-traumatized every time we go there just to rewind a little bit to a question you asked earlier about why training EMDR the way I read it anyway the question was long enough, you start working as addictions counselor and mm-hmm. you're noticing that some people are really doing well from 12-step facilitation yeah, and some people are doing well and they keep relapsing and then when you look under the hood, they're relapsing because there's some unresolved trauma where they keep getting triggered. Yeah. I'm I'm putting aside the people who don't want it, the people who are sabotaging it for yeah, other reasons. But I'm talking about sure. people who seem to seem to be generally trying. Yeah. Yeah. They become t- and it's like there's often some unresolved PTSD there. And they're not going to get well from just group therapy talk groups and feelings groups and meetings. They need mm. some specific surgery, as I call it. So so that's where the MDR piece came in. But then I started to notice that people were symptom free yet they were still dissatisfied in life and that's why i had to go on down this journey of training and really which really helped me and myself as well but the whole positive psychology field so we have to we have to deal with people's negativity but we also have to give them hope and somewhere to work towards yeah and that's for me is flourishing human flourishing so there was a whole piece that I noticed, and then, then of course, what I noticed is that if you integrated the two at the same time, you are getting much stronger results than just focusing on one or the other. Yeah, amazing. Um, so, the, so my piece has been like addiction counselling, then EMDR, then this whole positive psychology training as well. Having all of that has made allowed yeah. me, to, I think, work with me and everything I wanted to work with. As I said, yeah. most people refer referred to me because they know that's what they're coming for. I do have some people who come and I go actually I'm I'm not sure I'm the right person to help you. For example I I'm, I'm not skilled nor do I feel comfortable working primarily with eating disorders so I'd Yeah you know always refer on that but there could be other things where it might be like you know you might just get some much better support down at um a grief group or yeah maybe you just need to go to some meetings you don't need me right now or you've got some a certain type of depression that's not really working mm. well with and Maybe you need specific CBT for that, or mm. actually this is more of a psychiatric issue, and that'd be great if you went and had a second opinion from a, your psychiatrist you know there's plenty of mm. examples I can think of
1: you've you're, you're clearly so passionate about what you do it resonates with you, but also you you meet the person as a whole
0: i mean it's partly because I mean I just remember one client that just wasn't responding to anything, so I had to go back to the the drawing board and it's more I think realizing what what is it that people want. And mm. there was a great there was a great study that came out mm. that showed that I think it was Walpole 2014, but I can't quite remember off the top mm-hmm. of my head right now. Yeah. But basically it's what do clients want? It's right. It's a huge meta study. Mm. And interviewed and looked at what therapists think they want. And they always mm. think that they want the bigger aha moment and the the, the big psychic yeah. change moment and the, yes. the massive insights and everything and what clients actually want from this study showed anyway and i, I think this is true is they want an understanding and a plan because i found so much psychotherapy and we'd have big arguments about this in the ward rounds starts yeah i can about, imagine is that too much psychotherapy leaves people abandoned in awareness only So, and I, and I, this, this is, people are going to push back against this, but my, then it's a rather naive example, but you'll get my point from it is, why am I behaving like this? You're behaving like this because your mother used to shout at you like that. Okay. Really? Did she? And you go into it and you find out, oh, okay, well, maybe that had an effect on me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now how do I stop being affected by the fact that this happened to me? And there's a sort of pause, uh. And some therapists are a bit like, well, no, you don't understand It's because your mother shouted, you responding like this. It's like, no, and I am saying that, I, <laughs> yeah. But I don't, want, I don't want to respond like this anymore.
1: Finding a balance somewhere. Some, for some people, it sounds like from that study, it was, I don't necessarily want that. I want this.
0: Or it's, it's like, okay, I, I want to know why I feel and have done and ended up in the place I am. But I also mm-hmm. want to root out of it. Yeah, and I don't want I don't want that to come from coming once a week, and we'll eventually find it together in some kind of dreamy, therapeutically. What are our goals here? What What's the plan? What's the roadmap to get out of this? Mm. And and how will we know when we've got there? All emotions are good. There is no such thing as a negative emotion. Anger is a really healthy, positive emotion.
1: Yeah, it's part of our human in, condition. In, in some,
0: but also, what what they do it, it's the repression of emotions that is the problem yeah but combined with not taking responsibility for where the emotion comes from so if i say if i say to you that all emotions are signals that are telling us about whether we're attracted to something or we're we're in aversion to something because that's really fundamentally what they're doing Mm. they're drawing us towards something or away from something it's all to do with values Mm. you know something's attacking my values or something is enhancing my values that's what emotions do and if i if If we say okay they're all you know they're all adaptive and functional and and telling us something and and really beneficial in a certain context that's right however we have to also acknowledge like well if i keep going to a place where i'm being triggered by this emotion and it overwhelms me i have to take responsibility for that as well yeah so it's about you know across the board it's learning what's causing the emotions the nature of the emotions and then am I going to take responsibility in learning to, to change that or not? Because if you think again, we haven't got a huge amount of time, but emotions really all come from where I'm coming from, come um, yeah. come from prior value judgments. Yeah. And therefore we have to check whether those value judgments are right or not. They're mm. so like, just really yeah. simply, you're really cross with your girlfriend for being late mm. and you're thinking in your head, she's always late. She's always late. This is typical. Da, 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 da. And you're really cross with her. And then you find out that she had to go to the doctor for some reason and it was perfectly legitimate. The emotion changes. Yes. But, but we have to find these things out. Yeah. We have a responsibility. Sometimes we need to repress our emotion because we need to get yeah. through the moment. Survival. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But, for but then we need to bring responsibility to not evading that emotion by saying, I mean, there's a very simple CBT technique of having a worry point." later in the day, where you tell yourself, I'm not going to think about this right now, but I'm definitely going to experience and worry about it at 6 this evening.
1: And yeah,
0: That sounds glib, but actually there's a lot of truth in that, in the terms of it's, its repression, but I'm repressing it while taking responsibility to do something about it. You're versus, not, for sure. I'm just going to squash that and never ever go there yeah, again.
1: I can't ever go there. No, that's that's really interesting. You're the owner and director of Resurface. Tell me about its development and what Resurface is about.
0: Thanks for asking. So resurface is a surf therapy program that I put mm. together cool. that combines psychoeducation, yoga and mindfulness, mm. experiential group therapy, and uh, surfing that generates. is the sort of physical element that allows people to, I call it the forced mindfulness aspect. It allows people to mm. connect with their bodies, be in the present, um, really have a sense of achievement, have done something difficult and, and embodied. Yeah. And and we set, we started off by just running a what we call the trauma resolution retreat, which was sort of in-person retreat for a week where we mm. where we really look at going right back to the beginning of our conversation, we're working primarily with people's developmental trauma issues. So we're doing a lot of group work where we're allowing people to yeah. what we call correct those deficits or heal those deficits by doing very targeted work in in the groups that allow people to have we're always looking for what we call the corrective experience so let's just for example you've never had anyone let's go back to the bullying example and in the bullying example no one ever listened to you at home about what was going on Mm. and after a while you just learned to repress it because what was the point in telling my parents or siblings And, and in a group if you set it up in a skilled way you can correct that experience by having having that experience that someone went through listened to and be held by a bunch of peers who understand and that can be that can correct that hole that deficit in someone and the reason we use surfing is one it's really fun and i've seen how much it helps people mm. get out of themselves and being in nature and trying quite literally
1: and and quite literally riding the waves
0: what we found is, and what one of the reasons we set it up the way we do is we always do the group work after people have been surfing because we find that when people come back in after the surfing they're much more open Mm. they're much more willing to do the work they go much deeper much faster and the reason for that is surfing is a great activity for generating what's known as flow states and flow states are states that people recognize of some people call being in the zone where you're totally absorbed and at one with what you're doing and when you're in flow you feel amazing you're performing at your best and time kind of dilates you sort of come out of it oh my god was that two hours i can't believe it i was so absorbed and when you come out of flow you you go into a What's called the recovery phase of mm-hmm. of a flow cycle and in that recovery phase you are much more open yeah so that allows us to do much deeper work than you would just do if you hadn't done that wow. so every yeah. surface we we started off by doing trauma resolution programs mm-hmm. um, you know with a lot of psychoeducation in there trauma sensitive yoga which is another evidence-based yep. approach to help people reconnect with themselves and then we we started doing some resilience and flow retreats as well which were a bit mm. more sort of positive psychology not influenced more focused on flourishing and then we do we've been doing some day retreats so we're doing this day retreat at the wave in bristol Mm. looking at grief this time and hopefully we might be able to do more and we've also started doing which is a a newer development we just we've done a three of them so far yeah uh, emdr intensives because one of the great things with emdr is you can do it every day yeah so we've you can either come for a week or two weeks and we can (laughs) combine surfing, yoga, EMDR, meditation, to really help uh, someone go sort of, you know, it is very intense, but allow them to really make a huge amount of progress in a very short amount of time. Mm. And we're really pleased with the results happening. And just, we do these retreats mostly in Morocco, but we've done them. Mm. We do them in the UK when it's the right time of year sure in the states in portugal and we're just really trying to expand out right now that's our
1: oh that sounds that sounds really 23 project oh amazing and something i wanted to ask you josh do you feel more at home on land or on your surfboard
0: depends on the size of the waves okay and i mean mean, totally serious about that yeah yeah up to up to a certain point Mm -hmm. i feel very comfortable and safe in the water yeah and then and then over a certain point I start to get scared like anyone else and mm. but what I've noticed some resilience wise is I'm getting more and more comfortable and confident in the water so it becomes a safer place for me oh. but I've I've I like many friends have been very humbled in the water and learned yeah the hard way I love being out in the water but I, I also guess... love being on land with my children and my family and things like that
1: is there anything on dry land that that feels akin to, to how you feel riding those waves? what makes Frinched. home a home at home and and what makes home on the surfboard
0: so just in terms of feeling not much because as someone pointed out surfing is about the only thing where you're moving on something moving so there's a very unique feeling to that basically you're you're moving on something moving mm. sailing you're sort of chopping through stuff so you're not really moving with a moving way skiing and things like that skiing skateboarding those kind of things you're mm-hmm. you're, you're moving but everything else is static same. Yeah. You know. The, I mean, there's a zillion different flow activities that are really, really. bad. Ben- you know, it could be dance, it could be art, it could be playing music. They all generate the same state of flow. And the, the extraordinary thing is, flow feels the same regardless of what's. So, mm. if you're in flow doing advanced maths, mm. it feels the same as if you're dancing or painting a picture or skiing. It's extraordinary how that is the case. But and um, what makes something feel at home? It's a great question i think it really comes down to uh something feels like home or people feel like home to you if they share the same values you can meet someone and feel really comfortable and at home with them even though you haven't known them long because you really know they share the same values an activity strikes and chimes with your values then i think you'll feel at at home with it Mm. and the same with people
1: For you is surfing. Where did that enter into things? Had you been doing that? You've spoken about recovery and addiction. Um, so, and I know journey. This,
0: again, another great question. So, I used to be a skater as a kid and I uh-huh. love skateboarding, but yeah, I only got on to surfing in my late 30s. And uh. it was with it was, I went on a yoga camp and we did a little bit of surfing and then i went on a yoga surf camp and then i didn't do anything for a year and then mm. i went again and didn't do much and then a friend of mine from recovery actually said why don't you let's go surfing and we we went more and more surfing and then more people came along and i just started to really see how it was really helping was mental health that being in the water doing something challenging the camaraderie it's really hard exercise as well so all of those things coming together like you know, an hour's surface, like doing an hour's hardcore gym or mm. um, doing a run, and if you're out there for two to three hours, you you know, that's serious exercise. And yeah. So I was seeing the the positive benefits it was doing for psychologically for myself and friends and other people. I was like, hold on, there's something here that needs to be tapped into that mm-hmm. can really help. Um, and we found, and we some of the research we've done is really showing this, and it's it's exciting. So cool. There's
1: just so much more I could talk to you about. Maybe we have to do a part two if you're open to that.
0: Of course, of course.
1: Before I let you go, there's a couple of things. Um, What does spirituality mean to you?
0: Oh, wow. Good question. Well, I'm an atheist. So spirituality to me is all those parts of me Mm -hmm. that are not physical. So it's my consciousness. It's my values. It's my... My ideas, my thoughts—you know—all yeah. those parts. That's that, that's what my spirituality and what spirituality is: the non-physical parts of me, which are very real, but they're not like this. What's in here and what's in all of me? It's my. So that's what spirituality means to me. It's, it's you know, in very simple terms, it's my consciousness. Yeah, and consciousness goes with that. Yeah, definitely. And which is a can... part of an aspect. I mean, Aristotle talked about. Your consciousness being an aspect of you yeah it's not divorced from you in a separate thing it's an aspect of you and i always thought that's pretty deep at the time
1: yeah um, i really like that and it seems like you know you mentioned about being an atheist and it seems like it enables a way of connecting with things like meditation and spirituality but sort of reframing it from potentially the more dogmatic views and actually it's you know i really like what you said there My my consciousness my whole the wholeness yeah, my values my thoughts yeah we've spoken a few that. times so that's come up i realize that that notion of values and it sounds like that's that's really important to you but also in your work
0: if we don't i mean happy happiness is the achievement of your values as a result yeah of working towards and achieving your values so i think it's an essential aspect of yeah, the human condition but definitely yeah i mean th- i'm an atheist not because just because i haven't seen any evidence i have always thought it a bit funny and this again a lot of people push back on this, but like in every area of life, we don't believe something unless we have evidence for it. Except for this one thing, mm. I'm talking about from a traditional kind of religious, from the yeah. religious side of things. But you know, sp so spirituality for me involves my meditation practice. Right? Mm. You know, yeah. what are those things that I love? The things that I value, the friends I value, the connection. All of yeah. those things are what is spirituality to me. It's oh. not something magical out there.
1: No taking the magical thinking aspect out and actually really connecting with those things that are important to you and mean something. And yeah, because values to me is linked with meaning and what means That's where your meaning comes from. Yeah.
0: Meaning and purpose is all based on your value system. Wow,
1: amazing. I really like that. Finally, word association is something I invite all my guests to partake in, something Carl Jung would often employ as a way of revealing parts of the mind that were normally relegated to the unconscious does that sound okay
0: well it does just because like the brain works through a, a, a mechanism called associative networking mm. it doesn't work like a, a a computer where you go in and out of files it works through associative networking so it, it's something that i find fascinating and actually a lot of trauma work is about breaking automatic mm. associations and generating new associations so i've always found oh. it's, it's an interesting area
1: Oh great, Well, I'm going to fire some at you if that feels OK. okay. And um, yeah, yeah sure. let's see what happens. Vulnerability. Connection.: Honesty
0: Essential. Intimacy Scary. Light. Beauty. Shame. Sadness.
1: Compassion. Love, darkness, sleep. Did that take you where you thought it would?
0: I, to tell you truth, I didn't really have much expectation in terms of where oh. I thought I'd go. But it was it's fun to do that, and I, I liked. Uh, you know, I looked back and I was thinking when I was sort of reflecting on some of the answers, I was like, "Hold on, you said an emotion, and I sort of responded with an emotion or an emotional process." Yeah, um, but that's that's what came up. Amazing. That's what came up. Yeah.
1: I really value you bringing in its benefit to, to trauma actually, of processing and the systems and you know remembering we're not computers, but no. often these kind of automated thoughts that we subscribe to and that we assume is what it is, actually breaking that down and remembering we're human beings. But Josh, thanks so much for talking with me today. Pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed that. so informative, really valued your authenticity and, and bringing yourself to this conversation and all your experience. Thank you so much.:
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. See you again soon. I hope so. Thanks, Josh.
1: Thank you to Josh for coming on today. A great chat that offers much food for thought. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Waves are so often used as a metaphor for surfing difficult emotions. But in the case of Josh and those that resurface, it is literal. I was also struck by the similarities in our journeys and really related to what Josh was talking about before and after coming into recovery. I was left recalling the place I got to in my addiction. Music was everything to me, but I witnessed how it went from music and using to using and music to just using with music being a chore. Getting into recovery allowed me to reclaim my passion for music start to look at what was underneath the iceberg and have the ability to make informed, authentic choices. There's totally scope for a part two with Josh. It feels like we just scratched the surface of some of the areas we were talking about and I'd love to talk about the stuff that came up for me after our chat. Please do let me know if you'd be interested in hearing a part two with Josh. To find out more about Resurface, check out resurfaceuk.com. And if you're interested in delving deeper into EMDR, check out emdrassociation.org.uk. The Journey Home was brought to you in conjunction with Portobello Behavioural Health. Music and production by Matthew Starrett, edited by Tom Worrell.
0: You've been listening to The Journey Home Podcast.